The second section uh, has some tension to it because we recognize that Thomas is not present. The absence of Thomas is a tension builder in the story. He had somehow missed the presence of Jesus. I don't know where Thomas went, you know. I don't know what he was doing. Uh, Was he just, I don't know. Was he just rethinking? Was he like, I don't know what to do? But he wasn't there. Even though the disciples are telling him, dude, he's around. And Thomas is like, "Uh, I don't think so. He had missed the presence of Jesus, and he's not quite convinced of their experiences. This line from Thomas is so telling, until I see What does it say? I don't memorize these things all the time. Until I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hands in his side, I will what? Not believe. I mean, it's like an ultimatum. You would never think to say that, would you? I mean, you should. But, like, we don't think about, like, is it okay to say that? Is it okay to say, look, if I don't see the evidence, then I don't believe? This is where we get the phrase doubting Thomas. But just to be clear... Every disciple was in this boat. I don't know why we pick on Thomas. Um, But it says that a week passes by. A week. They tell him. He's like, I don't buy it. And then a week passes by. And I think we're all familiar with that week, if you know what I mean. We're all familiar with that week. Like, our whole lives of faith is that week. We're still in that week. Unless you have touched Jesus yourself, love to talk to you, you're living in that same week. Our faith is in this story of Thomas. Like we are in that period of time where we're not 100% sure. And our faith in this story is this continual wrestling and reflection, and processing, tearing down, rebuilding, doubting. It's all of that. Thomas is our guy. If you really want to like label him, doubting Thomas, forget that. Thomas is my saint. I, I can relate to that. Maybe you can too. That week of just not knowing entirely what has happened I think we've all connected with that in some way. We are all recipients of a testimony of, uh, that has made its way to us through the voices of others, most of which you don't know. And here we are today, and we are betting our faith on it, and it feels difficult sometimes. This old uh, hymnal, I got all these hymnals in my office, but... Um, this, this, may, this may cause some reactions, I don't know. Um, but there's this old hymn in here called, Were You There? Anybody? Grew up in a church? Were you there? Is that right? Yeah. I don't often sing for you, but there you go. It's, an, it's a simple hymn, but it's just like, it's a series of five questions. That's the hymn. And I'll read them to you. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? In parentheses, were you there? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? To the tree. I guess that's how it goes. Uh, were you there when they pierced him in the side? Were you there when 
the sun refused to shine, and were you there when they laid him in the tomb? That's all the hymn is. And the answer to all those questions is, no, I wasn't. And I remember as a kid, like, hearing that song in the sanctuary, thinking, we were there. But the reality is, no, I wasn't there. It's a depressing song, you know? And so we're singing it, and we're processing, like, if we're thinking through it, like, wasn't there at all. Neither was this guy, you know? And so maybe you've felt that way. I learned things late in my pastoral career. Um, I didn't know what toxic church was until like two years ago. And then I prayed to God we weren't one. I didn't know that, uh, I didn't know what deconstruction was. People started using this word, deconstructing faith, deconstruction. I was like, wait, what is that? And they would tell me, oh, it's when you like tear it all down. And I was like, ah, seminary. (laughs) And they would be like, no, 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 it's worse. I'm like, I don't know. Because the first two years of seminary is you just say this all the time. Uh-oh. Anybody seminary people in here? You're with me, right? Like, that, that Old Testament professor who stands up and goes, just so you know, there's no empirical evidence for the Exodus event. Uh-oh. Are you with me? That's all it is for like two years. You're like, uh-oh. Oh. Really? Oh. And then about like year three, you start to like resurrect a little bit, you know? They can hold on to you for a little while. If you stay long enough, you can make it. But like, I started to hear people's stories about, not seminary, but just their own faith of like, it's tearing down. I'm tearing down things that I learned. I'm trying to relearn. I'm trying to figure it out. And sometimes people figure it out and sometimes they walk away. But like, there's this whole deconstruction thing that I had to learn about. And um, it's fascinating. But at the same time, I'm also like, well, you're in a long history of people who've done that. And that's, that's positive. That should be reassuring that we're not the first to go through that. Uh, and there are different reasons we go through that. But whatever the case may be, all of us at some point are called to take things apart and then maybe try to put it back together. And that's a beautiful thing. We did uh, a series of teachings here many, many years ago called This Place... And um, it was, I think it was like a values, like we just had some values about our church. And one of them was that this place is a safe place to work out your faith. That's all it was, just a simple, wherever you are, because we're all sort of working this thing out in real time. We're not always adopting someone else's faith. We're having to build our own too. And that takes work and questions and doubt. And so if you're in the middle of a spiritual dismantling, it's okay. You're safe here. Joan Chatister writes, doubt is the mother of conviction. Once we have pursued our doubts to the dust, we forge a stronger, not a weaker belief system. These truths are true, we know, because they are now true for us rather than simply for someone else. It is doubt that is the beginning of real faith. And I love the response of Jesus to Thomas, peace be with you, peace over you. And he calls Thomas to see and to touch who he is. Do not doubt, but believe, he says. And I don't want to get into this too heavy, but in the Gospel of John, doubt 
and believing are basically symbols for intimacy and distance. It's not about sin, it's about intimacy. And so what Jesus is calling Thomas into is greater intimacy, closing the gaps over time to re-enter a relationship. That salvation for John is relationship with Jesus, this intimacy with him. The communion that we take every week is, is tactile. It's body, it's blood, it's touch and taste every Sunday. See and feel and listen to the liturgy. We are reminded of these things every week. I love what Jesus says to Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and have come to believe. That's you and me, by the way. Right? I love that Jesus like, gives us an extra whatever that is, an extra blessing. Maybe that means margin. I don't know. Like the disciples have no excuse. They touched it. They felt the nail holes. Like Jesus is like, you guys have no excuse. Maybe that's why they died for it. I don't know. But for us, maybe we have this margin of blessing that God recognizes how hard it can be for us. And I love what John says at the close of this whole section. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and, through, and that through believing you may have life in his name. These stories John is telling us are for the faith of a distant and detached people, that these are for us, for us who weren't there. And so I would close by saying, in the face of real doubt and spiritual dismantling, Jesus comes near. And he comes not with disdain or disappointment, but with a pronouncement of peace. Amen.